everyone, my name is Emma Delarosa, and I am a Toronto-based singer-songwriter, flutist, and educator, and the creator and host of the Bedroom Studios podcast. The podcast where we talk about what goes on behind the scenes in the musician's world and bridge the industry gap by bringing their stories, expertise, and advice to early career artists. Subscribe to join us for a fun chat about life as a creative person, tips and tricks for pursuing an artistic career, navigating the music industry, and more. Today, I will be interviewing the amazing Casey McQuillan. Whether touring to hundreds of thousands of fans across the US and Europe, opening for artists including James Morrison, Beverly Knight, Marty Pello, and Eric Hutchinson, appearing on The Kelly Clarkson Show, or gaining a loyal fan base as a powerhouse vocalist on American Idol, Casey has accomplished so much in her short career. Her debut album, Skinny, which includes the hit single In and Out, a duet with John McLaughlin, found its way into several major playlists being spotlighted by the likes of Apple Music and Amazon Music, as well as featured on MTV and CMT and Sirius XM The Pulse. Additionally, Casey has performed her anti-bullying concert series, the You Matter Tour, at over 100 middle and high schools for over 40,000 students. Casey graduated summa cum laude from Berklee College of Music in 2016 with degrees in both music business management and songwriting. In our conversation, Casey shared so many amazing insights about her songwriting process, her experiences touring and performing, and how she built her career as a singer-songwriter. I hope you enjoy episode 13 of the Bedroom Studios podcast. First of all, welcome to the podcast. I'm very happy that you're here. Thank um, you so much for having me. It's fun to be here. Fun to see you again. Yeah, I adjusted the format a little bit to start with us listening to one of your songs. So Okay, amazing. I was wondering if you wanted to give a little bit of an intro to your song, Skinny. So uh, this is a song of mine. It's the title track on my new album. And it is a song that I wrote about like body dysmorphia, but more particularly the, the pain of, um, of having to deal with knowing how much easier your life would be if you walked around in a smaller body and letting go of that fantasy. I think a lot of plus size women, um, the world lets you know that they wish the world wishes you were smaller. And um, it's hard not to internalize that. And as the pandemic ended, and I finally got to go back to the bars and all of that, I had the experience of, you know, being out in public and being out at the bars and not having as good of a time as I had hoped and anticipated because I spent so much of the night thinking about how much better the night would be going if I were in a thinner body. And I wrote this song to give voice to those feelings and validate myself in that. But also my favorite part of the song is the bridge because in the bridge is when I acknowledge and reflect with myself that in order to be thin, I would have to give up a lot of things about myself that I like. Like I like that I, you know, I love going out to eat with my friends and I love bread and I love wine and I love um, all of these things. And I love the carefree attitude that I get to have towards food. And I love existing in the, my body as it is naturally. And the person I would have to become in order to shame myself into a thinner body is not somebody that I want to be. Um, and so if I have to pick between being me and being skinny, I pick me. Uh, so this is my song Skinny, and I hope that you like it. Oh, that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
grabs a dress from the back of my closet The short one I haven't worn since I bought it A little lipstick, glitter eyelids Just a touch, there's nothing she's hiding With all my friends she poses for pictures Post it quick, no thought, no filter She calls me pretty We both know she wouldn't trade places Wouldn't trade faces with me I watch her all night Dance around the room Living my life Like I always wanted to She's stuck in my mind A vision who I'm supposed to be She's happier than me Skinny She drinks the good stuff She goes home, she's never alone I leave the bar, a hole in my heart again I watch her all night Dance around the room Living my life Like I always wanted to She's stuck in my mind A vision who I'm supposed to be such a relatability to it a lot of us whether it be like with body image or with um just like other ways of how we see ourselves there's so many things telling us to be less of who we are yeah you know I think I think lots of systems um are dependent on people disliking themselves you know capitalism is you know uh dependent on that the patriarchy is dependent on that um you know if we if we're quite literally spending our time and resources into making ourselves smaller and weaker um, in order to socially fit in, you know, we have less mental and emotional energy to, um, to, to heal and question and um, express the other much more interesting and important parts of ourselves outside of our bodies. But from an incredibly young age, girls are told that their bodies first and foremost um, are what are most important about them and everything else is secondary. And so you know, I've been in a phase of my life of, of trying to work through that and question that. And it's been a very uh, cathartic and challenging experience to perform this song mm-hmm. over and over and over in front of thousands of strangers <laughs> every night. Um, 
because it takes on a life of its own and people have their own reactions to it. And um, it is it is interesting to kind of lead lead a uh, experience for uh, you know so many people that I don't know um, while we're sitting in those rooms together hearing this and they're hearing the song for the first time. Um, it's interesting to to be helping and guiding people working through that in a way while also still working through those things myself and still trying to you know um, be confident in myself. Um, it's it's been an interesting juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. How do you create that balance even with this song and with any other song you perform of kind of expressing the emotions and emoting on stage, but also putting on a performance and not kind of just, you know, like not crying on stage or like feeling it so much that it- I do cry on stage sometimes, Um, especially when I first wrote this song. I think I cried the first maybe five times I played it on stage. I mean, I think I, there is a balance, right? You need to maintain Mm -hmm. quite literally as a singer, it's a physical, it's a physical expression. And so there's a level of like, um, you got to keep it together to a certain extent. Uh, Like one time I was singing as my uh as a friend of mine walked down the aisle and i quite literally closed my eyes while she was walking because i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna actually cry (laughs) i gotta get this song out this isn't about (laughs) me um but i also quite actively try to engage with the emotions that i was experiencing when i wrote the songs right songwriting is very cathartic for me and so very ironically like writing the songs sometimes really helps me work through what i'm singing about but I'm aware, especially because I, um, I've been doing a lot of work as like an opener. So I've been opening for large audiences that aren't familiar with my work. And I tend to um, introduce songs and give a story behind the song to help the audience engage with like brand new material. Mm-hmm. And because I'm doing that, you know, I am, <laughs> these people came on a Saturday night to have a good, good time. And my show is really fun, but then I'll like plop down a song like Skinny. Yeah. And I am basically like slapping the audience in the face with like a therapy session on a Saturday night, three drinks in. And I think it's really important that I authentically try to engage those emotions with the audience as they engage them. And so um, a lot of the time, like recently, I've been singing Skinny. Um, and my I think it's my favorite part of the whole show is that moment at the end of the bridge where everything drops out. It's I'm very proud of the fact that as an opener, I have the audience quiet, like they are with me and like it, you could hear a pin drop. And mm-hmm. that's how I know a sh- I've got a show is like if I get to that point a Saturday night in in, you know, Manchester, England, and you know, they're dead silent and they're waiting for that moment. That's so you know beautiful to me as a performer. And I appreciate people's attention so much. And I'm always I'm, I'm, I'm regular thinking about how how I'm singing, I'm singing words about not loving myself while being very proud of myself in the moment Mm -hmm. for my skills and my ability. And also being hyper aware that everyone's looking at my body at that exact moment because I'm singing about it. And sometimes, most of the time, I would say on stage, I feel good about that. I'm like, good. Like, I, I know because I have fans tell me that when I walk on stage, I walk on stage, as you know, you know I'm very loud and confident and uh, boisterous and all these things. And I bring that energy with, with me on stage. And I've had 
other, you know, plus size women tell me that like seeing me on stage, even before I sing skinny, they don't know I have that song coming up was very validating for them because they were like, well, that, that girl is hot. <laughs> and that girl Hell is yeah. just, everyone's just looking at, everyone's just looking at her because she's good at her job, not because, you know, and she doesn't seem to care that she's not skinny. And then I think the experience for people of having me be in that persona and then strip it back and be like, well, yeah, I feel these ways about myself, but I also have these moments where I really doubt myself. Um, I think that experience is really emotional. And so I, I'm aware of that when I'm on stage and I'll be singing skinny and I'll be all of the juxtapositions of, of that moment are with me um, during the performance. And it is sometimes very cathartic and sometimes it can be a little triggering and it's my job in taking care of myself is to make sure that i always you know speak about these things in ways that are comfortable and that are within my boundaries sometimes people say some crazy stuff to me <laughs> afterwards <laughs> at merch you know and um people put their feet in their mouths and you know it's been a learning experience for me on how to set boundaries as a human while also opening myself up emotionally to people as an artist and where and how to draw those lines. Yeah, and I guess that's something that comes with experience and- Yeah, it's kind of a trial by fire situation, man. Like you realize somebody said something to you you didn't like and you're like, all right, how do, like for example, I sing the song Skinny, right? I have started, I do the whole rigmarole until this whole sad story about me going out, it's a true story going out COVID after COVID feeling really not having a good weekend. And then I, I was with a friend and I was telling her about it. And that's where the song skinny came from. And I used to tell that story and then go into the song skinny, everybody cried. And then we moved on. And now what I do is I tell the story about skinny. I pretend I'm about to start the song and I pause and I stop and I, and I literally take 10 seconds and I go, I just want everyone to know. I think I'm really hot. I think I'm hot. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I look amazing. Look at the dress I'm wearing. I look so awesome. And what I'm doing is I was getting so many comments from older men at the end of the shows being like, well, I just want to let you know, like, don't worry. Like, I think you're sexy. And I'd be like, yeah, I freaking mm. know. Brad, yes. <laughs> I was aware that your 70 year old ass was into this. I wasn't worried. And so I think that I, that's a very good example of like editing in, like that's experience. I've learned mm -hmm. that when I sing skinny, I need to tell people that I like myself because it, it reduces the amount of comments people feel free to make to me um, after the show. But yeah, some, I think that as a woman performer, you're objectified anyway. I have a body that people tend to extra objectify as like an hourglass woman. And then I have a song about my body. And it like the point of the song like flies over these men's head of like the entire goal of this is that I don't, my value is not attached to my body. It's not about me needing you to tell me, don't worry. It's okay. Cause the patriarchy still thinks you're hot. It's like, no, 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 no. The whole goal is like not giving a fuck what the patriarchy think. It's, it's not, oh, I, it's all right. Because, you know, grandpa still thinks I've got it. <laughs> When you were when you had written the song, was there ever a point where you felt that it was like too personal to put out or that you that you didn't want to share it? Um no, but I got feedback from some women in my life to not put it out. So I had some women that I know that I don't think have good relationships with food. Mm -hmm. Um 
I, I think it was out of love. I think, um, I think I have some, some people in my life that could not imagine ever going on stage and being like, hi, I'm fat. Like I, people like couldn't imagine they, to them, it was the most horrifying thing somebody could do. And so they felt like I was a trap. I was asking for critique and commentary and, and they were worried about how that would damage me. And I think that what I have understood is like, there is a power in, um, saying, I love saying stuff on stage that like, you're not supposed to talk about. It's like my favorite thing to do because it's like, there's all these rules about what we're allowed to talk about. And I, enjoy <laughs> pushing the boundaries of what those things are supposed to be. Um, obviously in, in this, in this kind of way, like I also have a song on my album that's, you know, about mental health and it's not, uh, the shiny side, it's the not shiny side. And, um, I think there's something deeply, um, gratifying about talking about those things. So with skinny, I always knew I, I was, I, I knew from the minute we wrote it, it was going to be really powerful. I, I don't feel that way about all my music all the time, but I wrote that song and I was like, holy shit, this song, people are going to lose it. Um, I sang it the day I wrote it. I sang it on stage, which is a coincidence. It was a coincidence. And you're like, not supposed to do that because you're like, mess up the song, but I just had to sing it. I had to sing it. And I, and it, it was, it, it connected, <laughs> it connected oh, yeah. with the audience immediately. We knew we had something on our hands yeah yeah and just to have that song open up your album it's i've listened to your album in full and having that song at the beginning it just sort of brings this like vulnerability in and invites everyone into the story right away and oh, thank you. it's like every, we're there with you right from the start i'm glad i appreciate that yeah I shouldn't have listened. I shouldn't have listened to the song at the beginning because now I'm all like emotional. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's the whole point. <laughs> That's songwriting for you. <laughs> yeah. And so I want to talk more about you as a singer and as a performer. So you've obviously been touring a lot. What sort of actions did you take along your journey that led you to opening for all these big artists and these big crowds and being on tour? You know, it's a really complicated question because yeah. it's very competitive. It is not an easy thing to do. Um, I would say like a short answer is I think I'm, I think there's, there's two questions. There's how did I actually get the gigs and why am I good at it? Those are, mm -hmm. they're almost like separate questions. Um, <laughs> the reason I'm good at this, I think is because I, I kind of cut my teeth in performing from, I was a wedding singer like two years and I act, still am involved in and for very actively ran an anti-bullying program. It's like a, a school assembly that are songs I wrote that are about bullying and self-identity and all these things. I've played at over a hundred schools. And I, I, when I was at Berkeley, I kind of found this niche and I really pushed very intensely, not really being really sure where it would lead, but it was getting me to sing my original songs in front of live audiences. And, what was interesting, I, I did, I did hundreds and hundreds of gigs that were weddings or um, this anti-bullying program. And what's really interesting about both of those experiences is that they were not about me. 
weddings are about the bride and the school assemblies are obviously about the children. They're not about me. Right. And what that did was it taught me that the shows aren't about me at this. And like, let me tell you, it freaking feels like they're about you when every all your family flies in and the press is there and your manager's there and everybody's in the green room. And like, it's all these things, but I have had experiences that like, when I walk onto that stage, I, I have a, I think I have a, I do a better job than most or I do a better job than I would have, if I hadn't been a wedding singer or done this hand templating program at, at it not being about me. So you ask me like, how do I put the feelings aside? It's like, I tap into the amount of feelings I need. And then I, for the audience, and then I don't do more than that because it's not about me. And like when I was a wedding singer, you know, there's nothing worse than a nobody dancing at your wedding. And like, I learned at like 20 years old, like you go out and you got grab grandpa and you're singing to grandpa because you're like, I got to get people onto this dance floor or like this bride's going to cry. <laughs> and what that taught me is that like, it's, it's, it's truly about the audience. And I, I don't mean that in like a cheesy way. I mean that in like a literal, that's your job. You are here to entertain them. That's it. And so um, I would say that's why I'm good at it. I personally think that's why I'm good at it. I think that the way I booked these, it is really hard. Um, I, I did, I've done, I did a, I, I did a million shows and I, I was, was that, was I like, I think I literally might've actually been on the, <laughs> I was, I like, before I booked any of these big shows, I was on the Kelly Clarkson show. That's how like competitive, like it's, it's, I was, I did American Idol. I had all these things and you still don't book anything. And like everyone and everyone's mother wants to be on a tour. So you have to, there has to be a reason why it's you and not other people. And you have to be willing to take hundreds, thousands of rejections. And you also have to um, understand that nobody's going to do you a favor. So like, what are you, that person killed themselves to build that fan base? Why should they share that fan base with you? What are you bringing to the table? Mm -hmm. And we all think our music is great. So everyone's music's great. Everyone's a great singer, everyone. So what are you bringing to the table? And again, realizing it's not about you and pitching from the perspective and like having, like being humble enough to understand that like, it's crazy. I'm like, I'm doing this arena tour coming up. I don't know if you saw my socials, which is gonna be sick and crazy. It's like nuts, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I like, I, I booked that after doing three runs at, you know, 3,000, 2,000 person rooms. And that was crazy that I got that. And like, it's, it's, I, I worked, me and my team worked very hard for every opportunity I had. And then we mm -hmm. absolutely did our best to take 100% advantage of every single ounce of opportunity that was there. And even then you go months with getting all no's and nobody wants you on the tour and it's devastating. Like it can look on my socials like it's win after win after win. Well, there were months in between those wins where I was like, I think that was the last win. I think it's never gonna happen again. And it feels like that. And it has been really helpful to me to have a team that is full of people who are more optimistic than me because <laughs> I am pessimistic and you can't be in this industry. You have to have faith. And I have people on my team that are, be are better at that than me. So it's good because they'll be like, no, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. And then something comes through. So. <laughs> So it's hard. It's really hard. And I know I told you guys in class, um, for the listeners, I was, I taught Emma 
um, this summer at songwriting camp. And something I told the students is like, it's, you got to do open mics and then you got to try to, uh, you know, you got to try to do play your own show for an hour to 10 people. And then you got to email every band that comes to play the 50 person room and say, I can bring seven people. I can guarantee seven tickets and whatever you do, like, you got to build up from literally zero. And if, if you can do five, then find if, if somebody playing a 50 person room, five tickets is helpful. So if you can sell five tickets, that's what you lead with because it's what you're bringing to the table. Mm-hmm. On tour in a situation where you're playing a lot of shows or just doing a lot of rehearsals and things, how do you maintain your voice so that you don't burn out vocally? It's really important. Um, I actually had vocal surgery now like six or seven years ago. Um, I was very sick, undiagnosed for years. I had like really bad uh, tonsillitis and I have such a strong voice that I was singing through it and I kept getting misdiagnosed because you're not supposed to sing at all. And I was, so what happened was I got my tonsillectomy out, um, but by then I developed really bad habits, really bad singing and speaking more, probably more importantly, speaking habits to compensate for the fact that it had these giant tonsils in my throat. Mm. Well, they got rid of the tonsils, but I still had those bad habits and it, it developed into me having a nodule. And I honestly, when my voice was good, I had this like beautiful raspy voice. People couldn't believe I was getting vocal surgery. They're like, what? But I knew I couldn't get up every night and night and night and night and night and sing. And uh, vocal surgery is no small deal. It is a huge deal. I don't, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but going through that experience made me hyper vigilant about my voice. And so I'll tell you something speech therapists told me during this process. Um, your voice is like a battery. You only get so much of it during the day. Mm-hmm. If you have to sing in the morning and sing at night, you can't talk to your friends in the middle of the day. You can't call your mom and have an hour long conversation on the phone. That's your battery you need to save your battery for when you need to use it, right? If you go over your battery, you need to go under your battery the next day. And the truth is, if you keep going over your battery, you're gonna end up hurting your voice, right? So I would say like vocal rest is a huge part of this. Similarly, um, people need people warm up before they sing, people need to be cooling down. You would never run a marathon and then just like sit down. You would always stretch. You need to be cooling down and you can Google, there's like YouTube cool downs. You need to be warming up you need to be cooling down. Um, You would never go on stage and just like try and play the guitar, right? You would have practiced it. You should be practicing your vocals in the same way it's a muscle and it's a muscle memory pathway. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm in this place right now where I've got my headline tour coming up and I've I've been singing the same songs as an opener. So my muscle pathways are really strong for those songs and I need to get into the rehearsal studio and practice the other ones so that I'm not singing it on adrenaline uh, for the first time in front of a crowd. I need, you know, I, it needs to be rehearsed. Um, so yeah, I would say it's like, treat it like you would a sport. It's you're putting the same amount of exhaustion on the muscles in your throat during your hour long show as you would have during an hour long soccer game. And so prepare and then take care of those muscles in a similar fashion that you would have if you had a soccer game, how would you think about that? Mm-hmm. Really, really good advice. <laughs> so we're nearing the end of our interview. So I have two final questions. So one is, do you have any 
advice or resource that you would give to your younger self when you were beginning your journey? Advice, the advice I give younger people is because I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> is I'll give you, I'll give two things that you've probably heard me say this because I tell all, like, all young people this <laughs> is that um, opportun opportunities are not ladders, they're mirrors. This is a Casey original here. This is uh, this is a Casey original quote. But opportunities are not ladders, they're mirrors. And what do I, what I mean by that is um, I have booked this arena tour. I'm very excited. It, it is, it is an, an opportunity I'm taking incredibly seriously. And like I said, I always try to milk every last ounce of opportunity out of these opportunities, right? But I booked this because I can do it. They wouldn't have booked me if they're like, she probably can do it. I can do it. That's why I booked it. It's going to be, there's going to be little things to learn. I need to take it very seriously. I'm practicing all the time, blah, blah, blah. My team, we're very involved, but it's a mirror. It's showing me what I am qualified for. It's not leading me to what I'm qualified for. Mm -hmm. And the reason that this is important is that this industry is full of people who can try to take advantage of you. And so if one manager wants to work with you, it's not an opportunity to being somebody who's good enough to being managed. You are good enough. If that person wants to manage you, you are good enough for that and other people would want to manage you. And so I don't say that so that you don't take the opportunity seriously. Opportunities are really hard to come by. But I say that so you can have some perspective in, in confidence in yourself. You know, I... Mm -hmm. The day before I walked on stage for this first James Morrison show and the day after I was just as good of a singer. I had learned some things I had experience I could grow, but I was just as good. I was ready for it that day because I was booked on it because I played a million other shows in preparation. And so when when things happen and let's say you. Let's say you get accepted to Berkeley and you also get the opportunity to, um, you know, your friend is in LA and they, they got a record deal and they want you to come out and write. And you say, okay, well, I'm, I'll never, I'll never get this opportunity again. It's like, you probably will. That person wants to do that with you. You're really good. So you need to always make decisions. Don't, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't operate from a, um, scarcity mindset. You know, it's like if you were dating and you met like a great guy who's super into you. He's, that means you're great too, right? That means there are like other great people that would think you're great and you don't wanna, I'm not encouraging you to like throw away this great person, but what I, it gives you perspective. It's like, okay, well, this person's great. That means there are great people out there who want to date me. So if it doesn't work out with this person, I'll be fine because I'm great. That proved I'm great. I'm great. I'll find somebody else. And similarly, it's like if you get a call from American Idol and they want you to come on and it would mean you have to drop out of school and you're in blah, 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 or something happens, you should obviously weigh that opportunity very seriously. But if you're good enough to get a call from American Idol, you're good enough to get a call from The Voice the next year. And keep in mind that if there's there's multiple fish in the sea kind of thing, this this industry can make you feel like if you don't, if you don't kill yourself or don't, don't make yourself uncomfortable, let's say there's some person that wants to work with you and they're really well connected, but they make you uncomfortable. Yeah. They don't treat you appropriately. They are inappropriate. 
and they say, I'm your only option. This is it. No one's ever going to see you like I do. Don't work with that person. Yeah. Right. That's what mm -hmm. I'm talking about. If, if one person sees your talent that somebody else will too, if you keep working. And so if somebody makes you feel scared or um, disrespected or gives you a queasy feeling, you don't have to work with them. There's somebody else there that will want to work with you who will respect you. Mm -hmm. It's like taking the good opportunities, but also not being afraid to let go of the, the things that just aren't working. Aren't working. Exactly. Yeah. Because, because you're, the reason that opportunities exist is because you're great. So yeah. <laughs> that's really good advice. Everything you say, I'm just like, wow, this is so great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been at this for a long time. You know what I mean? I have a lot of a lot of experience talking here. So um, that's what I would tell my younger self is I would mm -hmm. tell my younger self to walk away from those people who didn't make me feel respected um, earlier because other people would see what they were seeing, but other mm -hmm. people would see it and say, like, if, if you, you, you should have management or people who work with you that say, you're so talented and I can't wait to help the world see that. Mm. Not you're so talented and I'm the only one who's ever going to realize that. Those are different, yeah. different and don't work with those, don't work with those people. Yeah, people like that, they make it about them. Yeah, yeah it's a control tactic. Um, mm -hmm. If you had a boyfriend and he said, I know you're beautiful, but the rest of the world thinks you're ugly. I'm the only one who will ever love you. You would know, uh, I probably shouldn't date this guy, it seems terrible. But in the music industry, you can kind of fall into those relationships, professional relationships kind of easily. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's important to to have that sense of confidence and that sense of groundedness that like, no, if, if one person is realizing this in me, somebody else will too, and you aren't my only option. Yeah. How did you build your, you, you mentioned that you have a team, obviously a team of people um, for your career, but how did you, build that in the beginning? Um, it was really hard. <laughs> I'm not like a Nepo baby at all. I'm not connected at all. Uh, <laughs> my parents, um, my parents, literally, I told my mom when I was like 10, I wanted to take voice lessons. And she's like, what's that? <laughs> and I was like, she's like, you mean choir? I'm like, no, I mean, voice lessons. She's like, I don't think that's a thing. <laughs> um, I mean, like, it's little things like I, I filmed like the beautiful, like a music video with this very a person I still work with. I was on the phone with her the other day, actually, which is hilarious. Very legitimate person in LA who um, I made a Facebook status and was like, can anybody connect me with it? I'm looking for music video people. Um, and I got connected through someone connected through someone. Now here's the thing. My music was really good. So I wasn't just being like, help me. I had, I went to Berkeley. This is okay. Number one, I went to Berkeley. My producer that produced all my music. I went to Berkeley with him. I was on a call yesterday with somebody who's building my like professional rig that my band is going to play with. That's very complicated and I don't know how to do it. I went to Berkeley with him too. He's one of my friends, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the first thing I did was find peers that were at my level. When I was 18 and figuring out how to do this, I made friends with other talented, hardworking 18 year olds who were figuring it out. So that's step number one is you need to find people who are at your level, but you think have the same work ethic and um, opinions on quality and mm. creativity as you. That's the most important thing. Um, then I would say, in my opinion, maintain relationships out of 
being a genuine person. I think like you can't kiss butt to all the way to Hollywood. I, I, I couldn't do it. Some people have, I couldn't do it. I think there's a difference between maintaining a professional relationship and like kissing ass. Um, so like have friends that you respect and are excited by creatively work with those people um create music perform be in be in creative spaces that's number one i think that's the only thing you can control if you go to a lot of open mics you're going to meet other people who do what you do right mm -hmm. be on um be do little songwriting competitions in your area be go on instagram and ask around you know you you do you do soccer you play you play um, you play soccer on like a, 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 a an area wide league and not a you know town league. And you say to the girls who go to other high schools, are there any are there any people who produce music at your school? Like so, that's what I mean. Like find people on your level, mm. um, and then be just putting yourself in spaces and be prepared. So like when what ha the way I found my manager, it sounds going to sound really like convoluted, but my guitar teacher um, and him are related. And I was working with my guitar teacher and I was working on, I was preparing and I was working on really improving my guitar skill. And I'm quite proud of my guitar skill now. And but at the time it was not up to snuff. And I did all this research and I found this person who was very qualified at specifically helping singer songwriters be better. Mm. And I've been working with him and he'd been kind of by, by nature, listening to my music as I was, it's a lot of the music that's actually on this album. And he, I knew he, he tours and blah, blah, blah. And I didn't even know what to ask. I like, I didn't even know what to ask. And I asked Kylie, I was like, I hope, I hope this is all right, but there's any chance you'd want to pass this on to X person that I knew we worked with. And he was like, I don't really think that would be the right match. He's like, but I got to tell you, like, there's someone I really think you should meet. And it was my current manager I've worked with for like five years. But that was not the first person I worked with. I had been managed and left other people who I did not think treated me well. Mm. Um, I'd been trying, I'd had PR agencies and I'd had, I tried so many things and I didn't know how to do it. Um, and it was one result of me trying. I kept trying in different areas and this one worked. And then we like tripled down, you know what I mean? And he's the best and I'm very lucky. Um, but we you just got to try and you got but the, the 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 most important thing you can do is make connections on your own level again this industry is all about the mirror not the ladder mm -hmm. so you got to work on your mirror like what are you what is the actual music you're making what is the actual songs you're writing what is your actual performance like because if no one is going to come down from the heavens and recognize your talent that you haven't even built up yet you have to build it up first. Mm -hmm. So find 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 your own peers. Is I would much rather hear that you got like my you and my and my other students were working with four or five different people that they knew from high school, than finding out that like somebody was working with like a forty year old in LA. I'd be like, hmm, <laughs> why does that forty year old want to work with you? Like, why isn't that forty year old working with me? Why is he working with you? Like, what's going on here? Because that's what I mean when it, there's that power imbalance and things can get sketchy really fast. So yeah. So anyway, that's my advice. Yeah, thanks so Ask much. around. I know Facebook status. <laughs> I really dated myself with the Facebook status thing. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I don't know how to use TikTok.
Neither do I. So we're going <laughs> to hire somebody for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the last question is, do you have a music recommendation for a playlist? Yes, I think I sent you something, right? Yes. Uh, Passenger, I think, what's the song called? Little Birds. Is that right? Is that what it's called? Beautiful Birds. Beautiful Birds. Oh, my God. So this song's freaking gorgeous. I think I sent you the acoustic version because I prefer so it. I'm so glad that you recommended this song. Is it, I um, also love this song. <laughs> Beautiful. Really well written. I think it's a um, really great example of metaphor songwriting, which I think can very easily become heavy-handed and usually the most effective songwriting I think doesn't have metaphors in it right people just come out and say what they mean mm. but when it's done well when, it, when it's done well it's just stunning and if we want we can do a little song analysis here let me look up the uh, lyrics to this but I think what's so beautiful about this song I think the thing that what I think I like most about this song is the last verse I think is so beautiful to build a nest we pecked feathers from our chest like a book tearing out every page we weren't to, we weren't to know that these feathers would grow into a beautiful cage like oh my god and it's like you learn right that these people became like trapped by trying to um groom and 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 in in subtly change themselves to fit with their partner mm. they became unrecognizable and something that had been, you know, something feathers that are so related to flight and freedom became like a cage. And I think that that's just really, really stunning imagery. Um, I think what's really interesting is even hearing that like, he goes from a metaphor and uses a new simile in within it. So to build a nest, we pick feathers from our chest, like a book tearing out every page. And what you learn from that is like, as he, there, a book becomes like completely loses its meaning once it starts mm -hmm. tearing itself apart. Like, what is a book without pages? It's nothing. Um, so anyway, I love this song, and I hope people listen to it. I love Passenger. He's so 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 talented. Mm -hmm. So it'll be on our our playlist. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Of I'm course, so Ellen. Thanks for hitting to me up. Talk to you again. I know. I know. It's been so nice. Thank yeah. you for. Uh, keeping me in the loop with what you've got going on. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bedroom Studios podcast. Don't forget to add this podcast to your playlist and to like and follow on Instagram, YouTube, and Spotify at Bedroom Studios Podcast. And also you can follow our playlist of guest music recommendations, as well as the music our guests have created. And all of that will be linked in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. <laughs>